Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Welcome to Wisdom, because there's a whole lot of not wisdom out there. Whole lot of not wisdom out there. I think that's what we should call it too, is not wisdom. Well, yeah, this is a little different standing just a few feet farther back, Doug, just so you know. I can't see anything anymore. Totally blind. It was much more comfortable. Oh, see out here, I can see just a little. Yeah, well, we'll try it this way for this Sunday. <laughs> All right. Um, the, title, the title of today's message is simply the pattern. And there is a pattern in Scripture for how we are brought up, how we are raised up, how we are trained up. And uh, that is something that's important, I think, for each one of us, uh, not just as parents, but actually as as children, as teens, as adults, because that, this pattern actually applies to more than just being a child and a teenager and an adult. Um, it's almost like a parallel in the spiritual reality of who we are, where we, we meet Jesus and we're in our infancy and we move through a stage of adolescence to a stage of maturity. And I feel like these, these uh, principles apply across the board. Uh, but if you are raising kids in this day and age, especially if you're just starting your family, you would do well to take notes and uh, to do your homework and to read the Bible uh, in the passages I'm going to share with you this morning, to, uh, to study yourself and to really get this into your heart because um, there's a whole lot of not wisdom out there. And it will go well for you, it will go well for your family if you adhere, if you, if you discipline yourself to what God says is the best thing for us. So, listen, here, here's kind of, we don't really have a memory verse, I suppose, for this series, but if... We do. What is it? It's right there. If anyone lacks oh yeah, if anyone lacks wisdom. Sorry, we do have a memory verse for this one. But but here's here's the one that kind of forms every thought I have as we started this series. So that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And um, is that? Oh, never mind. <laughs> no, I don't have to change it. I'm just saying this is where my heart is and this is where my start is, is I recognize that, uh, that knowledge is attainable in many ways, but wisdom is attainable through the maker. And I think we need to, we need to come back to an understanding of that, especially if you're a follower of Christ. You need to come back to this. Um, we're all from a broken family. We're all from the family of Adam. We're all descended from that. We're, we're all affected by the reality of sin, by the presence of sin in our world, and it shapes our worldview, and it actually begins to shape personalities and begins to shape uh, opinions and viewpoints. And so just because of that, we can all relate to this one thing. You may yourself not have come from a broken family in the literal sense, but um, if we can understand the pattern that God has for us, and we can walk in the pattern and these three phases that are outlined in the Bible of raising kids, raising disciples, it all works together. These are God-ordained. And I want you to know this morning that God will bless your approach. He'll bless your steps when you walk according to what he has laid out. So Proverbs 13.20 says, One who walks with wise people will be wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. If you want to make a mess of your life in a hurry, I advise you to walk with fools. It'll, it will mess everything up in a heartbeat. If you don't like how your life is going because it's too good, it's too easy, uh, things are lining up too well for you, just start to walk with the unwise. Walk with fools and watch and see what happens. Don't do that. And if you are, 
Stop and learn to walk with the wise. Here's this biblical pattern I want to talk to you about this morning of how we should raise our kids and also how we are brought up in the faith as followers of Jesus. So first of all, we have childhood to birth. Infancy, uh, being born that age, so 0 to 12 years old is the age of training. Someone say training. training. All right. Then we have adolescence, and adolescence runs roughly from the ages of 13 to 19 or so. Uh, adolescence, and that phase we're going to call teaching. Someone say teaching. And finally, we have adulthood, which is 20 plus. And uh, that doesn't mean you've arrived at 20 years old, just so you know. You're, at, at 20 years old, you're still entirely not smart. Um, is, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, because even when your 40s and 50s come, you're, you're going to realize you're entirely not that smart. Uh, but the adult stage, is 20 plus, is the trusting stage. Someone say trusting. So we have training, teaching, and trusting. Now these three I'm going to show you are biblical pat. This is the biblical pattern for how we ought to raise our kids, the understanding, the approach that we need to have. And also, again, the parallel would be as we are raised up in the body of Christ, we have a stage of infancy, a stage of adolescence, and uh, we have a stage of adulthood. And yes, sometimes we do move back and forth just a little bit. We regress into some of these stages, but that's okay. So training, teaching, and trusting. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 4 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise. That's true if you read the Ten Commandments. So that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now here's where we're going to get our, our three stages. Listen to this. So children are to obey. Teens learn to honor, and adults benefit from it going well and living long in the earth. Let me say it again, just so you remember. So children obey, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then we got teenagers. We, once we've learned obedience, we can learn honor. And it's hard to know what honor is without obedience. You want to know why? Because if you're disobedient, you're incapable of honor. Very simple. And, and I, know that, I know that you could politicize that right now and kind of make it something different, but don't do it. Understand the Word of God this morning. Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart by His Word Understand that children obey and teens begin to learn to honor. And then as adults, you benef benefit from it. And most people misquote the scripture, right? They say, honor your parents uh, so that it will, your days will be long in the earth. I mean, I, I was threatened with that by Sunday school teachers as a kid, I have to tell you. You know, you better listen to your parents so your days will be long in the earth. But who wants your days to be long in the earth if life sucks? What does the verse actually say? It says so that it will be well with you and that may, you may live long in the earth. I want it to go well with me if I'm going to live here for a long time. True. Right? Who, who else wants it to go well? I want it to go well with me if my days are going to be long. So you have children, teens, and adults. And the benefit of being an adult who has been raised in the pattern is that you understand honor, you understand obedience, and you have the benefit of life going well with you because you've been raised according to the pattern that God set out in Scripture. Now, the first word we're going to encounter here that I think we need to uh, camp on just a minute is pahadia, which is the word for discipline, training, the education of children. Uh, so hence, it would be instruction, chastisement, or correction. 
And this is that, this is that discipline your parents, obey your parents. Um, you know, we, 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 want, we want our children to be trained, to be disciplined as they grow so that they know obedience, so that they know appropriate uh, compliance, and so that not just so that you, you reap a reward as the parent or as the adult in the situation, but so that your child benefits from the blessing of God as well. Again, whether you're a five-year-old in reality or maybe you're just a three- or four-year-old in faith, it, it still is going to apply either way. Proverbs 23.13 says, Don't be afraid to, con- to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. A good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death. <clears throat> yeah, I figured there'd be silence to that. In this day and age, man, that word spanking, it's a... Man, that's a bad one, hey? Well, let me just be clear. There, are, there is more to life than a physical spanking. There's more to discipline than physical discipline. And so we don't want to discount those things. But what Scripture is trying to get across today, in a world that rejects, here's what I find interesting. The world rejects the idea of laying a hand on a child's bottom to correct them. And that has actually evolved into, you also should not, Correct your children verbally. It's really interesting how passive-aggressive society has become. What the world says is if we don't like what we're doing, we're going to indirectly or directly shame you into doing what we think you ought to do. But there, there, see, there is no direct, hey, this is right, this is wrong. Why? Because we have de-established the foundation our society was made on by eliminating the Word of God from it. Now, this creates a problem for us when it actually comes down to the obvious places where right is right and wrong is wrong. Don't steal that, Johnny, because if you steal that, I can't really say anything other than nice things to you, let alone smack your bottom. It doesn't work. Here's the reality, guys, and let this sober you just a little bit. Police officers and military forces will always have guns, tasers, pepper spray, batons, and handcuffs. And whether you like it or not, physical discipline and physical compliance are realities of existing in the human race. And so what happens is, as a generation grows up, as we are seeing today in our world, specifically in North America and parts of Europe, what we are seeing is a fatherless generation that does not know the restraint of a loving parent, a loving father coming alongside to discipline rightly. We're seeing these people grow up with no understanding of restraint, no understanding of compliance, and only the serving of their own will in the moment. This is a problem for society. And inevitably, violence will be the result. Now, I'm not saying that to condone violence in any way. I'm just pointing out the observable facts of the matter. When we don't teach our children restraint, they grow up unrestrained. And they grow up incapable of reigning in their own emotions. And when you can't reign in your emotions, you become incapable of reason. When you become incapable of reason, you do not become an effective part of society, but rather a defective part of society. Guys, God's pattern is the right pattern. Don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. In fact, a good spanking might save them from something worse than death. Do you understand this scripture? There are worse things in our reality than dying. 
There are worse things. So let me ask you this. Why do we train our kids to do specific things? Anybody have any wisdom in this regard? Why do we train kids? Well, let me make it really simple for you. Why do you potty train a child? Uh-huh, right? Now it starts to make sense. Can you imagine a world of 25-year-old men and women who weren't potty trained? Can you? I can't either. That would be messy to say the least. I can't imagine a world where people truly grow up untrained. And that's why it's so important. We train our kids to do specific things, like go to the potty or say please and thank you, or we train them in a way that causes them to be prepared to think about their future because it's important that we train individuals to respond to authority to avoid bad things with serious consequences for the future. We train our children to look both ways when they cross the street. Why? So that one day, in their ignorance, they're not hit by a car. Right? Training is this stage from 0 to 12 years old. And so here's a couple of tips for training. And again, remembering, for those of you who are leading in the body of Christ, this is also rules or a pattern for discipling people. Be clear in communication. Be clear in communication. And words are a part of communication, but do you know the reality of the human race is that over 90% of our communication is actually nonverbal. That's why sometimes a small adjustment to the backside area can be effective. If a picture is worth a thousand words, sometimes, mom and dad, a little tap on the butt is worth a million words. But it has to be done right, and it has to be done in love, and it can't be done in anger or shame. Listen, be clear in communication, and here's the song I want you to remember so that you remember to be clear in communication. It goes like this. More than woe is all you need to say to make it clear. Communicate your expectations. I really lost the pitch there. What happened to me? A few months off the worship team, and I'm just losing it all. Guys, if you, if you communicate your expectations through words, through touch, not all disciplinary touch just means spanking, but through words and through touch, your children will understand clearly what is happening. Also true with disciples. Also true of us. It's true in my life. I've had men and women of God train me, teach me, admonish me, build me up. They did that with hugs. They did that with a hand on the shoulder to restrain me from time to time. And they did that with their words. These principles are godly principles. So you have to be clear in communication. You also have to be convincing because their future is at stake. Why we take time to preach sometimes longer than you like is because we want to be convincing. We want you to understand the things we say are because someone's future is on the line. And we can change what the past dictates your future will be by introducing Jesus to your scenario. My wife shared with the leadership team this morning in our pre-service meeting what it was like for her mom to grow up with, just, just briefly. She grew up in abuse in a family where alcoholism was the normal practice, being woken up in the middle of the night and, and beaten for no reason at all. You see, my kids don't know that. Why? Because in the line of our family, Jesus was introduced and changed everything. 
You have to parent and you have to disciple God's people as he calls you to with the end in mind. Someone's future is at stake. And not only your child's future, but the spouse of your child, their their future is at stake too. And your grandchildren, their future is at stake. It's worth doing, and it's worth doing right now. So you have to be clear, you have to be convincing, but you also have to be compassionate. And whether it is public discipline in, in a church setting or whether it is in the privacy of your home or whether it's at the Walmart, let me, let me help you understand this. Shame never has a place in God's discipline. And so as parents, shame should not have a place in your discipline. Wrong actions bring shame all by themselves. You actually don't need to pile that on. Sometimes we need to help people see that that's what shame is and what shame does. But we never need to pile it on because sin produces shame all on its own. Wrong actions will produce shame all on their own. And if you find yourself or if you see someone else heaping shame on, the first thing you need to realize is that the action may not be the problem here of the individual. Maybe the mentality of the observers is wrong. Public spanking or even public reprimand have no place in training. And you won't see me taking a member of our congregation and publicly spanking them, not literally, but with words. If you ever see me publicly spanking someone, you really should ask some questions because things have gone way too far for some reason. Um, but, But listen, compassion is God's heart. And God deals with us compassionately even if he's angry with us. So public shame... Public humiliation does not have a place in training. Training needs to be done in the security of known and safe people, and restoration always has to be a part of training. Always, always, always. Restoration has to be a part. Do you remember maybe you've potty trained a few of your kids, and do you ever remember the tears that came the first time they wet the bed and they thought they weren't going to do it anymore? I, I don't know parents who really get upset about that. It's kind of a heartbreaking moment because our child realizes they have failed at something. And what does it pull out of us? It pulls compassion out of us. It pulls compassion out of us. Training is such an important step because it's the first grasp they'll have at wisdom. W- wisdom has to come to a mind that has been prepared. The ground has been cultivated, so to speak. They need to be trained to seek wisdom. You need to be trained. Then we move to phase two, the teaching phase. That's about ages 13 to 19. And um, adolescence is the process of transitioning from child to adult. That's all it is. It's just a phase. Remember, parents, it's a phase. It won't stay this way forever. So enjoy the moments that you can in it, and and don't worry about the rest, because everything will probably work out just fine if you stay on it. Adolescence is that process. It's a process of transitioning from child to adult. It's actually not a place to camp forever. It's a period of time that is biologically, physiologically, uh, and even in a sociological sense, it's confined to a stage. And if there's health and growth and progress, you will move through it onto the next thing. But here's an interesting thing. And in, in the Jewish tradition, what we see is at 12 years old, the boys become set apart and, the, and it is acknowledged at a bar mitzvah, for example, that they are moving into the new stage, the stage of becoming a man. 
And this is something that we see in Scripture. We see it through the, the Hebrew tradition, and we actually see this tradition even in Judeo-Christian culture today. I've done that with my boys. They got to go on a man trip. One went fishing, one went to Vegas. It doesn't sound as bad as it sounds. If you know, we, we watched motorcycle races. We didn't go gambling or anything like that. Um, but, you know, we, we, we do. We got we to mark this change because when my boys came to that place, we went and had a talk about becoming a man. And because you're 12 now, son, you're going to look at your sisters differently. You're going to become more of a guardian in life. You're going you're gonna to have to treat your mom and dad a little differently than you did because you're going through some changes. And you need to watch for these things in your life now. Yeah. We, see, see, because they've been trained, now we can teach them. And so 13 to 19 is this stage of teaching. Let me show you biblically where this stands out. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. If you're a grandparent and you thought you get a pass today, you don't. You're actually required still as, as a follower of Christ, as God's creation, as a member of his family, to teach grandchildren. Deuteronomy 4.9, teach them. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.7, you shall teach them diligently to your children the statutes of God. Proverbs 3.21, my son, do not let wisdom and sound judgment out of your sight. Proverbs 4.1, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction and pay attention and gain understanding. Proverbs 1.8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not ignore your mother's teaching. The adolescent time of life is the teaching time of life. And the reason why teaching works is because training has happened. This is the process of changing infants, children, to adults. And they're actually not one or the other. They're their own little special animal right now. I have three teenagers, just about four teenagers in my home. Let me tell you what. Some of you have been this. Some of you have been through this. Some of you are about to go into this. It is an adventure of hormones and emotions. And that's just me. <laughs> yeah. It's a ride. But it's a phase. Listen, we teach kids because they've been trained to listen. And if you miss the training stage, you're going to be teaching to a deaf audience. So important. Luke 2.46. Then after three days they found him, Jesus, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Teenagers, can I have your attention for one moment, please? If Jesus needed to listen to people, do you need to listen? Ryan, what do you think? He's nodding. Yeah. Come on, guys. Teens, if Jesus needed to listen to people, don't you dare think that you don't need to listen to people. And you know what? It's, it's, <laughs> man, this is a step you must master to become a listener. If you pay attention to what the world is doing these days, there's a whole lot of talkers and screamers, not a lot of listeners. And where is that getting us? Well, it's getting us nowhere fast. Jesus listened and asked them questions. Teens, follow Jesus. Parents who are in the adolescent walk of faith right now, listen, ask questions, do what Jesus did. The stage of life they are in, the stage of life you might be in in your faith journey, is the process of becoming mature. And you cannot become mature without the process. So we tell a child how to think. I'm not surprised there's silence. But it's the truth. 
We tell children how to think. Because otherwise there's nothing to form how they should think. But when we get to teens, we, be, we, we change it. You can't tell a teenager how to think. You have to begin to teach a teenager how to think. And how do we do that? Mr. Sutherland is our, well, actually we have several. Now we have at least a couple junior high school teachers. And if you ask them after the service what they do in their classroom to teach, they will both tell you there's a lot of questions that they as the teacher ask. Because teenagers and adolescents actually respond fairly well to questions, whether you believe it or not, because I know sometimes you ask them, they just stare at you blankly. But trust me, the gears are turning up there. The problem is, is the synapses are being detached and rewired in the adolescent stage. So it might take a little while for everything to get rolling and, you know, kind of solidify. And no, I'm not saying your brains are mush, teenagers. But we have to teach a teen how to think. And the way you do that is to ask a lot of questions. Questions like this, here's wisdom for you. What's your selection process in picking friends, son? Have you ever asked your kid that question? You should. It's a good question for them to have to answer. Uh, hey, what are you going to do today? Rather than just be upset that they never picked up their room, that they never did their chores, that they didn't do the things you assume they would know to do, why don't you ask them what their plan is so you can teach and come alongside of figuring out what today holds? How about this question? Where are you going to set the boundaries for dating? That's an important question. It's a really important question. Son, daughter, where are the boundaries set for who you date, for how you date, for why you date? Is the process of is, in this process of revelation, it's important to remember that we have to answer the why questions. We have to help them get to those why questions. You have to tell them the why because the synapses of their brains, as I said, are all disconnected and reforming and reconnecting. Adolescence is a, is a strange and amazing time for human beings. There is literally a rewiring that takes place. I think here's a question we all should be guided into. And I don't think enough people ask this question of kids in their adolescent stage, but will what I'm doing or deciding today affect me when I'm an adult? That's a really wise question to ask. The things I'm doing right now, is that going to affect my future? Because I don't know about you, but I observe a lot of adolescent people, whether they're 13 years old or 53 years old, but adolescent in their thinking, make decisions without any thought to what it might do to the future. A man might come and say, you know what, I, I don't love my wife anymore. I just can't love her the way I used to. My question to the man is this, tell me what Christmas looks like when you get a divorce. And yes, I have literally said that to people before. You see, that's, a, that's an adolescent thought-processing question. Because even though you think you know what you ought to do right now in the adolescent stage of this issue you're facing, you actually don't have a good answer. And so you need to do like Jesus. You need to listen and ask questions. You need to listen and ask questions, most of all, because you're not Jesus. Because you don't have omniscience on your side. 
Because you don't have omnipotence on your side. In other words, you can't control the outcome. Someone else always does. All you can do is make the best judgment in the position that you're in right now. So these questions become very, very important in the pattern of understanding how God wants us to raise children and to raise followers of Christ. Here's a little homemade proverb for you. When you're being taught, you should know that you're always going to be tested. Why? Because the process of teaching requires testing to see what we've learned. How many of you just finished writing your final exams? What was that? That was a test. Why? To see what you learned. To see if you were listening. To see if you were paying attention. To see if you showed up to your classes. The questions help to gauge the level of knowledge that has been, has been acquired. Do you think we should let people drive our streets without the oversight of an examiner? No. no. Please, Lord, help us. There's already enough crazy drivers that sneak through the system. We don't need rampant, untested drivers in this world, do we? Things will get way out of control. So we can't despise the process of teaching and the process of testing that goes with it. Kids need to be taught to seek and handle wisdom. Not trained. They need to be trained to receive it, but they need to be taught to seek and then handle to understand what it is that wisdom says or requires of them. And then we move to the stage called trusting. Trusting is that 20 years and for the rest of your life stage. And this is biblical as well, whether you knew it or not. Once a child is 20, we enter this realm of trusting. Children are trained, teens are taught, and adults are trusted. Adults are trusted. I should note at this point that there are teenagers that I have known in my life that actually have in their spiritual walk reached the age of adulthood and can be trusted. And it's an amazing thing to see how this principle overlaps both into the physical reality of human beings and the spiritual reality. The biblical age of legal accountability is actually 20 years old. And I can show you that. Um, teens in our church take note. Uh, in the biblical tradition, they started paying what was called the temple tax at the age of 20. In Exodus 31, uh, 30 verse 14, sorry, it says, Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over, shall give the contribution to the Lord. Now, it wasn't talking about the tithe, but it was talking about the tax paid to the temple. At 20, you're an adult. You start paying. At 20 years old, they were called to war. Numbers 1-3, from 20 years old and upward, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. At 20 years old, we reach a different stage in the Bible, a stage of adulthood. Numbers 14, 29 to 30 talks about how they are, you are held accountable for sin, and 20 years old was the cutoff. Just so you know, that passage is talking about all of the people who God did not permit to enter the promised land with Joshua and Caleb. Because they rebelled against the will of God in the wilderness, they had to stay in the wilderness. And the, the, the way God cut that generation off was at 20 years old. If you were under 20, you would get to go into the promised land. If you were over 20, you weren't. So 20 is a big deal biblically. It's a real number in the Bible. It's not a stretch. It's not made up. It's the number for adulthood. One of the hardest things is coming to this place of trust. 
And there's been a great deal of generational divide in churches over all of the years the church has existed. Because we have a detachment between what people think they are as parents and viewing those who are becoming, uh, coming from the stages of child to adolescent to adult. And people don't have, they don't grasp this biblical principle. And because they don't grasp the biblical principle, they start injecting their own principles to it, and it makes everything kind of messy and difficult. It's the hardest thing to come to that place of trust. See, Lots of time, or lots of people over the years, I've heard this said, seen this in churches, maybe you've seen the same thing, even outside of the church, that when does a person become an adult, and we kind of for years wrote it off as, well, when they're married, because they're married, they're their own family, they're on their old right now. Well, what happens if they're married at 16? And my mother-in-law was married very young, but she was still 16, wonderful and awesome and everything, because she's probably watching this this morning. But see, marriage isn't the standard for adulthood. In fact, for those of you who have been married a while, you understand that what marriage mostly does is reveal all your immaturities. Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody say amen, right? It, it really does. Marriage, marriage exposes a lot of my, my immaturity and my insecurity and my, oh man, my messes and the things that I could keep to myself, but now that I'm one flesh and sharing life with someone else, with someone else everything becomes exposed and Man alive, that's not it, guys. Marriage doesn't make you an adult. It doesn't. There's a process to becoming trusted. Now, marriage is a step to leaving your parents. A man shall leave his father and mother and be cleaved unto his wife. There is a separation that happens in marriage, but I just want you to know that if you're 40 years old and unmarried, that doesn't mean that you're still a baby. Okay? Don't, don't try to over-systematize the principles of God. Understand them for what they are. See, the Bible is already calling a man a man when he leaves his father and mother. You notice that? A man is a man before he gets married, and a woman is a woman before she gets married. It's not about the act of marriage making you an adult. What if someone is called to celibacy? Does that mean they're a child forever? The reality is this. When children become adults, when teenagers become adults, they're adults. That's how it works. And it works more or less around the age of 20. Whether they're ready or not, that's the time it begins to happen. And here's the thing, moms and dads, if you will train your children from the time they are 0 to 12 and teach them from 12 to 19, I can promise you this, that becoming an adult won't be nearly as hard on them. Because that's biblical wisdom. And by the way, when parents see their kids come to this level and they cross that threshold into adulthood, it is time for you to take your hands off. It's time. Too many times we have seen parents stay too involved or pull completely away and act as if it's radioactive or something like that, that their child has, has moved into this new stage of life. That's not the way God wanted it to be. God does see your kid differently at 20 than at 17. It's his system. He made it. He's the one who put it into his law. Judges 14.4 says, speaking of 
Samson. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. In this story in the Bible, you know, we have a mom and a dad who are pretty concerned about the decision the son is making. Not realizing that God was doing something in spite of what they did or didn't know. And this is important for me as I look at my oldest son turning 17, and he's actually an old man stuck in a 17-year-old's body. He's like older than I am some days. Weird. So weird, actually, that he's that old. But, but he is, and he was since he could talk and walk. We just, we all knew. Some of you have seen him grow up from that stage of life. He's always been an old man. So weird. I guess I'll feel good about that in my 60s one day. Um, when our children cross into this, this new threshold of adulthood, spiritually or physically, we need to understand that our hands have to come off because God's plan has to entirely take over in a personal way for that child. You get all those years, 0 to 19, to influence, to train, and to teach. Sorry? Yes. You get those years to be the influence. And once we get past that, your influence has to change. That doesn't mean you become uninvolved. It doesn't mean your hands off. It means you leave room for them to continue the process of maturing in their relationship with God, in their relationship with other people. It's time for you to step back and be approached and to be approachable. Here's the reality. God may be seeking an occasion for something great in the life of your child. And we need to remember that as we raise our kids and as we let them go. Wisdom says God knows best. Wisdom says his plan that he has for our kids to give them a future and a hope is worthwhile, it's worthy, and that it's going to be okay. None of this forsakes the need to honor father and mother, by the way, young people. Young adults that might be sitting here this morning, you still need to honor father and mother so that it will go well with you and your days will be long in the earth. None of this really gives us freedom from relationship, rather invites us into a deeper and new level of relationship with every step we take. It would fix a lot of marriages in this world if parents would just release their children. I wanted to say butt out, but now nah, I'm going to say it. If parents would just butt out, instead of bailing them out of every emotional problem they encounter in their marriage. Parents, let me just say this, don't you dare get between God joining people together. Because you're not supposed to come to take that asunder, it says. You're not supposed to come between them. You need to allow God to join together what he joins together, and then you need to support what God has joined together. Creates many, it, it, it creates as many problems as it solves when parents pander to the emotional needs of their grown married children. I see it all the time. We counsel people like this often. And that's why you parent today with the end in mind for your child's future. You sacrifice today. You do the hard things today. You've heard me say this in our church before. My dad raised me with this knowledge, and I heard him give this advice to hundreds of other people in and outside of the church as I grew up. You will pay now or you will pay later, but either way, you're going to pay. 
It's the truth. And you know what? It's way easier to train a three-year-old than to teach a 15-year-old. And God help you, it's way easier to train a three-year-old than it is to trust a 25-year-old that has no training and no teaching. Guys, the principles are sound. God's word is what it is. His way is the best way. These principles are wisdom for the family, and they're also wisdom for the church. You might be walking with someone, and maybe you should take the time to evaluate where they're at in their walk with Jesus before you beat your head against the wall. For Amy and I, we were talking with our good friends, Jared and Lee about some of the interesting difficulties we've been having in the church as of late. And Lee, in her quiet, wise, newfy ways, <laughs> she once said just a few weeks ago, kind of making this whimsical, uh, uh, I'm not even going to do the Newfie accent that she actually used. She didn't. But she just said, um, how old is the church? And Amy and I looked at each other and said, 15. And all of a sudden, we all got it. And me just saying that, some of, some of you get it just like that, right? Generation Church, 15 years old. And guess what we're seeing right now in Generation Church? Adolescent problems. People who, people who come to me knowing everything. Oh, they know this, and they know that, and they've listened to this, and they've listened to that, and I'm reminded of what it's like to talk to my 15-year-old sons. And it's okay. No love is lost here. It's a, it's a part of the process. And so I would love to ask you so many questions about why you believe the things you believe about God's Word. So many questions. Jesus often did the same thing, by the way. He would often question the ones who came with their questions. Parents who have adult children who aren't serving the Lord right now, I want to tell you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. That's a promise you can fight with and hold on to forever. It's not too late. And there is room, and I love that this parallel works. There is room for any man, woman, or child to be trained as a child of God and to be taught as a child of God and to be trusted as a child of God. It's amazing, guys. Because of Jesus, we actually get a do-over. But here's something better than that. For us who have children at home right now, wisdom for your family is to pay now, not later. To do the work now. To teach them. To train them so that one day you can trust them. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back, and we're going to sing one last song, just like we always do. If you'd like prayer this morning, I'd invite you when we sing this last song, you can just come to the front, uh, off to either side. We have people here who would love to pray with you. And, uh, you know, you might be struggling with something in your family right now. Here, here's a tragedy. People come to church all the time, and they're facing difficult situations at home, things they think no one else could possibly know about, and they're walking away from the opportunity to be prayed with by people who are going through or have gone through the same things, very likely. Not one person in this room is truly alone in your struggle. There is someone here or someone a part of this church who is so likely knowing what your pain is, knowing what your frustration is, knowing what your struggle is like, because they themselves are walking in it. So don't let this moment pass you by today. 
If you'd like prayer, if you'd like ministry, please come as we sing this last song. And I'd like to pray for you just as we do that. If you'd stand. Jesus, as we embark on this series called Wisdom, Lord, and consider all the things your word says about how we ought to seek it, how we ought to hold on to it. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would awaken in our hearts the reality of the need we have to be wise in this day. Lord, it's so much more than raising our children and looking inwardly to the house of faith and looking inwardly to our own families. Lord, we know that your wisdom is destining us to try and save people from this world. And so, Jesus, we need your help today. But before we can help others, God, we know that we need you to come and aid us to help us with where we're at. Lord, we thank you that we have a promise that if we lack wisdom, we can come to you and ask for it, and you'll give it to us. So, Jesus, we say thank you for it. And Holy Spirit, help us to learn how to walk into it and walk with it. And, Father, I pray for anyone this morning that needs to respond, that in Jesus' name, you would give them the courage to do so. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.